Hey, hi, hello. Welcome to episode 48 of Trail Society, brought to you by our friends over at Free Trail. I'm Corinne Malcolm. I'm Keely Henninger. And I'm Hillary Allen. Keely, Keely, Keely. Well, one, you're not at home right now, but I think you have some news that we would love for you to share with everyone. Let's see, <laughs> let's see that hand. Oh, yeah. We got engaged to JT. Yeah. <laughs> it was a week ago now. Yep. Amazing. We've been kind of running around like crazy people, but yeah, it was really fun. We were surrounded by all these friends and family and it was really, really awesome. What a yeah. big spring for you. It was a big year. Yeah. I, I was like talking to Celia the other day and, and I was like, this is the year, man. We're going for it. <laughs> big years I mean, happen. Yeah. It's so yeah. cool. You're happy. It's the best recipe for Exactly. Yeah. No, yeah. super, super grateful. It was really, really fun. Um, and now I'm in Tahoe. And I won't see him for five weeks. <laughs> so, I'm we pretty sure that so well. <laughs> that's what Steven and I did. I think when he proposed, I like left for Europe like two weeks later and I was gone for five or six weeks. Yeah. I got engaged and then I was like, okay, cool. I'll see you in September. Bye. <laughs> so that's, that's standard. It's fine. He's in it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I thought it would make it a little easier, but I don't know if that's the case. We'll, we'll see. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. MCATs running around like a crazy person, getting engaged, sending it to Western States in Tahoe. How much snow is on the ground right now outside that window? Oh, well, there's way too much snow outside the window right now. It's packed down, like at least in sections, it's taller than me still. Um, and then mainly on the trails, it's probably like three or four feet, just super hard packed snow. So it's going to take a while to melt. There's a lot of like little rivers running everywhere from all the snow melt because it's been like 60 to 70 the past couple of days. So it's been melting, but slowly, but surely. Yeah. So if you're doing Broken Arrow, uh, the Tahoe 200 or 100K or uh, Western States, uh, it's going to be snowy. No yeah. snowshoes at Western States, though. No, no, no. <laughs> no snowshoes. Bring your bring your screws to screw in the bottom of your shoe if you feel like yeah. you need something. Yeah, at, at, at Broken Arrow for sure. There's no track, no traction devices allowed at Western States. No mm. modified shoes. It's a big deal. Because mm. Camille Heron, I remember in 2019, ran in track yeah, spikes. Yeah, she ran in cross country spikes. <laughs> I remember we were all at the start line and she was jumping up and down, and I was like, "What is that noise?" And I like looked over. Camille's running cross country spikes and uh, ended up dropping that year due to due to some hamstring stuff. And I was like, well, aren't cross country spikes like a negative, negative percent drop? Like that had to be so hard. Loads on the hamstring legs. so much. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, but like, I get it. Like if you're not familiar with running on snow, it's going to be slippy. There's a lot of side hilling out there, but uh, we're excited for you in this build to Western States where people, people start the hype train. Now we're going to be hyped for the next like six weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, all the stoke. Bring all the positive vibes. Yeah, slide in our DMs with all the positive vibes. Okay. <laughs> uh, before we dive into results, and oh my goodness, it is like peak race season, y'all. I, it's only May, and last weekend was insane. But before we get there, we had to give a shout out to one of our sponsors making this whole thing happen. That's the folks over at AG1. They've been with us since the beginning. Um, Y'all have been teasing my husband while you work with him in the ER as he has his bottle of AG1 there with him early in the morning, oftentimes. If you also want to try AG1, you can go over to www.athleticgreens.com slash trail society. 
When you place that first order, you can get a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs. Keely, did you bring uh, your AG1 on this trip with you? I did. Yes. And I even gave it out to a lot of my friends at the bachelorette party I was at last weekend because they love AG1. So I've been traveling with like four boxes and now I'm down to three because I gave a whole box out because they so loved it. <laughs> I love it. I'm, I'm like thinking of you guys like partying in Palm Springs and your disco disco themed uh, bachelorette party. It was party so absurd, but it was AG1. so much fun. We were just totally like partying solo. Like nobody was really doing anything crazy. We were just like at the house, just girls. <laughs> <laughs> with AG1 on hand. I love it. Um, I feel like this is their ideal marketing campaign. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Take AG1 yeah. to the desert and you'll have a great time. That's it. That's all you guys need to know. So from there, <laughs> we, uh, we're we going to bounce over to Zagama and results. Oh my goodness, y'all. Like, uh, Okay. So this is kind of like a very like brief overview of a bunch of different things that happened over the weekend because so many races are happening every weekend right now that if we deep dove into all of it, we wouldn't actually ever talk to you about anything else besides results. So we're going <laughs> to skim some things. We're definitely going to leave some things and some distances and some people out. Um, none of it's intentional. It's like really ad hoc as I like went through results over the weekend. Um, but I wanted to start with Zagama. If you guys want more deep dives into Zagama, go over to the sub hub with Danny Moreno and MK Sullivan. They actually had Sarah Alonzo on ahead of Zagama. It's a great interview. Um, so I don't know if any of you have seen the video though from Zagama. It looked absolutely horrendous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just was a total mud fest. And Zagama is like an intense race as is, even without weather. I can't even imagine running that course when it was just raining that much with like the mud, but then like the technicality and the rocks and like oh my gosh. And people still were like, like were outlining the course, like screaming their heads off, cheering, which I think mm-hmm. is like part of the reason this race feels so iconic for us from the outside watching it is that like, it doesn't for this kind of short distance mountain marathon style race. It's just like it, the, the energy around it seems like very, very captivating. Um, and the images coming out of it with the rain seem even more captivating. Courtney White was over there shooting for um, Francesco um, mm-hmm. Poopy, which made me so like, I thought that was such like a small world's collide thing. She was just at um, Canyon's endurance runs shooting Addie Bracey for Nike as well. So I think it's just like mm-hmm. very cool how all of our little worlds, the road, the track, the trail mm-hmm. um, collide in these like really interesting ways. So that like yeah. made me smile. My friend, mm-hmm. Michelle Bunky, who just got fifth at uh, trans... Volcania, she mm-hmm. was at Zegama and posted like two photos in succession was like, this is what Instagram thinks is going on at Zegama. And she was like, you know, cheering and dumping rain. And then it was like, in reality, she's like huddled in a little ball, like trying to stay warm. <laughs> That's <laughs> really, so really cool. cool. Nice. Was that like an intent? That has to have been intentional. Was she over there just to yeah. like spectate? She wanted post? to stay and watch afterwards. Exactly. Oh, so cool. Yeah. That's mm. that's a as Dylan Bowman would say, trail culture. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. <laughs> I love it. But from the results standpoint, on the women's side, um, kind of a newcomer to the scene, it seems. Um, German athlete Daniela Omas won the race in four thirty one. Um, but both the men's and women's racing was super super tight. It was Daniela won in four thirty one. Caitlin Fielder. Um, who's from New Zealand, but has lived in Europe for a long time. She speaks like amazing Spanish. I've like heard interviews with her in Spanish. It's very wild to watch. Um, was second in 434. 
Um, and then a Swiss athlete, Terry Slabouf was in 437. So really tight women's top three. I think the top five was all super tight. Um, I know Blondine was in that mix as well. Like what can't she do essentially? <laughs> um, so cool to see that. And then on the men's side, very, very close. Manuel Morales won the race in 342 and he was just 27 seconds ahead of the Moroccan athlete, Elusan um, Alazo. And then John Albin actually led the race for like 28K or something yeah. before ultimately finishing in third in 345. So that, I don't know, just like Zagama, I, I'm going to pull Michelle Bunky next year maybe and go over for Translocania and stay for Zagama and go yell mm-hmm. at people out on the hillside. That sounds absolutely amazing. It was yeah. a great idea. Okay. Everyone's doing it with me. We've planned a trip. <laughs> Trail Society 2024. Let's do this. Okay. UTMB, Snedonia, and um, a race in Argentina both took place this weekend. And UTMB Australia, I like couldn't even comprehend what was going on at UTMB Australia to add to this. So know that those three big by UTMB races happened over the weekend with spots up for grabs for the for OCC, CCC, and UTMB at all three of those events. Um, races ranged from like 20K up to just over 160K um, at all three events. I think the Argentinian race, their long race was 128K was their their 100-mile qualifier. Like all the races just seemed absolutely insane. But in Snedonia, the 100-mile race seemed in Wales, seemed bonkers, like over 50% DNF rate. Um, they had really ideal weather for it, but it just seems like it's a really, really hard course. I was messaging with Sabrina Stanley after the race. She ultimately finished second behind a, a local athlete. Um, I was a super strong local athlete. I was messaging Sabrina and I was like, oh my goodness. And she's told me that if she hadn't, if she had known what she was getting herself into, she might not have finished. Like it was just like way harder than she anticipated. Like the reports coming out of this race seem bonkers. There was also an Xterra event going on in the area. Plus it's like a very popular peak over there. And it, they had good weather that weekend. And so there were like 2000 people out just like trying to summit the peak. And so just imagine trying to run a hundred mile race. You started on Friday. You're like now on your second ascent of this mountain. And there's like 2000 random hikers also out on the trail with you. Yeah. I mean, Snowdonia National Park is insane. I went, I was there, um, two years ago and it's notoriously bad weather. So like they canceled the hundred mile race mid race last year. Yeah. So then and in May, it usually is a toss up. So this year they had like a very, like not just very, very warm actually. So it was unseasonably warm on a certain day, but the terrain there is insane. Like I always like the flag of wet of Wales is a dragon. And literally when you go to Snowdonia national park, it looks like there's like dragons, like coming out of like the, the it's this rocky countryside. It looks like dragons are just like sleeping there. It's just, it's so incredibly technical. And then it's just unrelenting. It's like, there's really no flat. It's like up and down, up and down. Yeah. Cordis Hall was like, I love this course. It's the perfect equalizer prototypes and poles have no place here. Like they're just, they're, they're useless on the rocks. He was like, it's, he's like, it's great. It's awesome. You like can't run under the prototypes cause you'll fall over and you can't use poles. He was there to race the 55 K Abby was there to support him, but it just, yeah, it was like, if I'm not at Transvolcania, that's where you'll find me. Next May, I'll either be at Transvolcania or UTMB doing probably Snowdonia doing the 100K. Cordis said, do not do the 100 mile. It sounds like it was epic, but the 100K seems like totally reasonable. So more of like a 15 hour day. So 
we'll uh, we'll see if I add that to uh, the calendar for next year. And then I wanted to give a quick shout out to the race in Argentina by UTMB Valhol. Um, once again, not diving super deep into it, but really, really cool. 78K. I think I saw so much about it because Paul Lind was overcrewing Cody Lind and um, Emily Hoggood. Um, but Helen Mino Faulkner kind of like stole the show. Um, she's a trucky area gal. She's on the um, North Face kind of next gen athlete development program team. Uh, I think Caitlin Gerben's her mentor on the team, which I really, really like adore Aww. and love. Um, <laughs> She, uh, not only did she win the women's race, but she finished second overall. Cody Lind was the only person that beat her. Um, it does sound like Cody took a wrong turn and like probably would have won by a little bit more. Um, he added on some additional mileage, but yeah, um, Helen won the race finishing second overall behind Cody. And then Emily Hoggood was second finishing fourth overall in the 78 K and then Zoe Rome, the, the people's champion. We have to give Zoe a shout out. She does so much for us in the sport. Um, finished third on the women's podium, but just like, I love that, like Helen and Emily just like stormed the top five overall. So I feel Mm -hmm. like that, that deserved an extra special shout out from us because it was really cool to see. And I think people need to know Helen's name. Like Helen is like, so, so talented. I feel like she's kind of been like a low key crusher and a little bit under the radar. Um, but I'm so excited to see what she does at CCC this year. Like those races are starting to shape up a little bit. And like, I'm really, I'm excited about like the OCC and CCC American probability of like how many women can we get in the top 10 at those races? Like those fields are shaping up in a really cool way. Mm. Okay. I think that's all I have from the results standpoint. Oh, local shout out Seattle Tiger Claw. You all survived uh, the hottest May 13th on record. It was like 90 degrees out in Issaquah. Um, you guys are crazy. Like so proud, so proud of everyone that made it from the start line up up Tiger Mountain three to six times and then back yeah. to uh I can't even center. imagine. I mean, the 50 mile had like a 40% completion rate. Yeah. <laughs> Granted, there wasn't that many people running the inaugural run, but like 12 people finished out of 25. Just something like that. Brutal. Yeah. So they did brutal. They, yeah, they had to complete all three loops, like the 50k. And they, they do them the traditional way where they go up the steep way and down West Tiger three, kind of the longer way down Tiger. And then for their second round of loops, they go back up, they go up the steep, they go up the long way and down the steep way for all three loops, which is just like, what a horrible way to finish a race. Like having (laughs) to go down some of these trails would be absolutely bonkers. So good on you. Tyler, Tyler Green, congratulations. And then uh, Caitlin Jacobson, who we're hoping to have on the podcast um, to talk about her work life and the rest of her life, um, uh, won the women's race in the inaugural year and was fourth overall. So huge shout outs. Yeah. Okay. News. Did you guys love the news that I pulled? Really just like. I thought this news was a spoof and I first saw it. thought it was like a delayed April Fool's joke, but. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do you guys know what we're talking about at home? The shortney Solomon released a Courtney DeWalter themed uh, set of apparel, kind of like a looser cut um, shirt and a longer short deemed the shortney, um, which uh, comes in at nearly 11 inch inseam, which I realized, I think I just have really long femurs because I still think I'd have quite a bit of like above the knee action mm. at 11 inches. It would be pretty short on your knee. It'd then. be pretty short on my <laughs> knee. 
I love that you thought it was like an April Fool's Day that was just like super, super delayed. Yeah. I mean, it felt like it because their marketing around it wasn't that like it didn't feel that authentic either. It felt really like just funny. And I'm kind of glad that it was real. I think I could I would love to see like more of this where brands actually embody the exact stuff that their athletes like to wear instead of like, oh, we want to create a short like this. So like, let's put your name on it after the fact, like let's actually build something that someone wants to wear and actually wears and then market that after the fact, like that has so much more credibility than, than when you're building something with an athlete and maybe they've never worn it before. And then you're trying to market it. Like this is the best short ever. Like this for her is a hundred percent the best short ever. Cause she's worn it for the past, you know, decade. <laughs> yeah. I also, I mean, I think like, we'll have to talk to, we're gonna try to have Amelia Boone on the podcast in the coming weeks. And, um, she works with ultimate direction or at least has, and they made like a sleeveless hoodie. And that's like a hundred percent Amelia. Like Amelia is like obsessed with sleeveless hoodies. And it's like, they're like, can we sell these? We don't know, but like Amelia <laughs> likes it. And so I, I love that idea of like authentic creation behind what athletes are actually wearing. When I ran for Solomon, I ran in the men's shorts, like Max sure. King would help me order shorts because I couldn't order the men's shorts discounted. And so Max would be like, how many pairs of men's small five inch shorts do you want? And I was like, all of them. I want all of them. Cause they were like baggy enough. And the like top of the short to crotch was like long enough so that it wasn't like, I didn't have to low ride my shorts mm-hmm. um, in order to like not have insane camel toe. You guys all want to hear that, right? I'm sure you do. <laughs> Oh my God. But I mean, it's this real. is kind of the other end of the spectrum, but Solomon typically has been good with that because if you guys remember Anna Frost and she made her whole, whole line and it was like a running mm-hmm. dress, right? Like she, that was kind of like, this is a while ago. This is maybe almost like, yeah, I, I know, remember eight, this 10 years though. ago. I remember yeah. like the Anna Frosty, mm-hmm. like the Frosty themed, like it represented kind of like where she like, where she grew up and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like I, yeah, yeah. Solomon so has Solomon done a good job with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't give Solomon a lot of kudos on the show. So kudos, <laughs> kudos, Solomon. Chapeau, we tip our hats. Um, okay. And then the other big one was the North Face. After um, 30 years ago, they released their like iconic Himalayan suit, the suit that people climb mountains like Everest in. Um, they are finally updating it, including releasing a women's version of the suit. So for like petite people and and or most women, historically in the past, they haven't fit into this like the like the go-to Himalayan high alpine climbing suit. So uh good on you, North Face. It's taken some time for us to get there in the mountaineering world, but thought that was pretty huge. And I also got sent a bunch of really fun photos from Tara Fraga of her dancing around there. Uh she works for a, a climbing company, like an uh, alpine climbing company here in Seattle. She got to like wear a bunch of the prototypes around the office. And so mm-hmm. I've got a lot of uh I've got a lot of uh what should I call it? I've got a lot of images of this suit dancing around an office that I can uh, choose to put out at my discretion at some point in time. So uh, I'm excited to see that. And then the other thing I pulled was um, uh, a thing from Tina Muir, which I thought was interesting. Tina obviously has gotten, I think, a lot of a lot of press over the years, um, most of which I think has benefited the sport. Um, she's a podcast host and author. She's a former elite marathoner. She's been a mom, um, but she's been pretty outspoken about her own personal experience, Um, you know, going public about not having her period for such a long time. Um, And I think that while other athletes had spoken about it before or during that same time period, 
Um, just like knowing Nordic skiers who'd gone through the same thing and have been vocal about it before that, like Tina's platform was really is, is, and was really, really big. And so I think her talking about it, like all of a sudden made people like perk up, um, in the wider media, kind of like it crossed over from just the running world to like the broader media space. Um, but talking about her experience with red S while competing as a professional runner. And, um, she's now put together a kind of new online community tool that is aimed to provide athletes with support for their own health and well-being um called red s realize reflect recover and it's it's more i think aimed towards people who are coming to it from like a disordered eating space and i don't know keely i think you read the the link that i provided there but it was that kind of your read on it too yeah i'd say yeah i'd say overwhelmingly it definitely tailors towards the the eating disorder realm of red S as well as the mental health realm of red S. Obviously both of those things are super important for someone going through red S because sometimes those are the cause. Um, however, we know that obviously not all forms of red S are due to, you know, eating disorders or mental disabilities, but I do think that they're sorry, mental disorders, but I do think that having these kind of experts on hand are, is really important. Um, and like her expert, that is the kind of like spearheading the whole thing I would say is Dr. Jennifer Giordani. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but she's a, an MD that specializes in, in eating disorders. And I feel like she's kind of, you know, being the, the main source of, of information for the site. And then she has a lot of like sports dietitians, nutritionists, psychologists kind of under her. Um, and they're all kind of, you know, putting their expertise together to form these resources for, for people who join the community. So yeah, I'm super interested in seeing what they're doing. Um, and I think, you know, like anything, creating a community for people to just discuss these things and realize that they're not alone is just so important because, I mean, I've had conversations with so many people who all admit to having some of these things at some point, like it's just so much more prevalent than we think. And being able to reflect on all of these things with a community is going to be really helpful for, for getting rid of, and maybe preventing some, some more your girls experiencing red S. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wouldn't think of it as like a preventative space but i think that for those who have been struggling or or kind of just like don't know what's going on and they they believe that they kind of fall into this red s camp like it might be a place to explore a little bit as far as like see if that's kind of where that connection lies and and have some resources available to you and that might be more affordable than than other options um but yeah i think it's i think it's interesting i think this community yeah. building aspect of it um as opposed to it being like living in secrecy mm-hmm. um living like in the dark corners like that to me is the, like a nice kind of turn, like, yeah, like a nice turn of events Yeah, of, totally. of like not being a secret society, not being this thing that's like hushed away in a corner, but like, this is a community space where like, you can, you can learn and reflect and grow and, um, hopefully, you know, work, work on getting back to wherever yeah. your like your personal equilibrium is. Yeah. And you're going into a space where they actually are understanding this whole process that happens to athletes and not necessarily, mm-hmm. you know, guessing to see what's going on. Like I remember going to a primary care physician who obviously was completely overworked and saw a lot of patients that were not athletes. But when I presented a lot of my symptoms that were very indicative of red S, like they were so confused and you feel really embarrassed as a 
as like an athlete or as a person going in there and talking about these complaints when the doctor doesn't really understand what you're going through. So I'm glad that there's like resources like this now where people can go and feel safe and actually feel like their symptoms have weight and that they're not crazy and that they're actually experiencing something that is not, you know, helpful or beneficial to them. And it's not normal. So I did also want to mention, I know that we specifically on this podcast, right, we focus a lot on red S, but specifically in women. And there's also, I mean, it's it's not something that's just, that's just for, for women. Obviously, I think we're passionate about it. And I think it's more, there's evidence that it's more common, right? But if um, there's specifically a, um, a road marathoner, Jake Liam Smith, who posted something, you can, we can link to like his Instagram post in the show notes, but basically about like, you know, he was dealing with the bone stress injury and that this was a result of red S. So it's like relative, you know, energy deficiency in sport, right? It's not just for women and, you know, like, well, I mean, that's why they came up with red S was because they were like, Oh, like men have this kind of female athlete triad Mm -hmm. situation going on, but they're (laughs) not females. How do we define this? So red S became this like bigger umbrella to -hmm. make sure that it was it was yeah. geared towards everyone yeah. to your so, point hillary there's like yeah. no way to, to to quantify it yet in males like there's a leaf cue which is like a low energy availability for females questionnaire mm-hmm. but like they're still right. developing the lean cue because they've found that while there are some questions in the leaf cue that obviously are pertinent to males it does not predict low energy availability in a sufficient enough mm-hmm. manner to actually be able to decide you know how many men in the sporting industry are actually mm-hmm. going through this and so yeah there's right. this is i think I said this last week with kelly she was like this is the one avenue of sports science where the tables are flipped right where actually right. we've done way more research on females than mm-hmm. males. And, and now we do need to start going down that path, looking into males because they are suffering from it too. Right. And I mean, a commonality there is bone stress injuries, right? But that actually takes a lot more time in this relative energy deficiency state for a guy to get a bone stress injury yeah. than, than a woman. Because testosterone has this protect, protective right. quality. We got to talk to Kelly about this in our last episode about mm-hmm. like, it seems that women are are more susceptible to early having early symptomatic things that like cue us into low energy availability, like much more quickly than, Mm -hmm. than with men. And part of that is likely testosterone is protective, which is Mm -hmm. fascinating. So totally. Mm -hmm. And estrogen is, is a lot more closely linked to like calcium resorption by the body than in males with testosterone. Oh my goodness. You guys, this is queuing us up so well for a very nerdy (laughs) conversation here to come. Um, we're going to leave it on that for right now on the Tina Muir red S <laughs> thing, but, uh, check it out. If you're curious, um, reach out to us if you're curious and we'll try to get a social media link for Jake's post in the show notes too. Um, if you're curious to kind of hear a male perspective on what he's got going on with red S, but before we dive into the meat and potatoes of today, which is great and topical and timely, and you'll all appreciate it. I hope, um, we have to give a big shout out to our other sponsor. That is the feed. Um, you all have been sharing those water bottles in your Instagram stories. Thank you so much. Um, Keely, did you travel to Tahoe with your water bottle? I did. I did, of course, <laughs> but I left it in my car, so I can't grab it for you guys. Oh, yeah. Okay. Know, so she says, so she says, oh, I did. I'll bring it on next show. Don't you worry. Okay. She's in a pr- proof of life of the, it'll be at Western bottle. States. It'll be the water bottle I'm drinking out of at the aid station. So everyone will see it there. Yeah. Well, I expect pre- to see an uptick in, <laughs> in your pre-race <laughs> interview. I want to see that trail society water bottle on stage <laughs> with us. Um, but yeah, if you, I just placed my, uh, May order. I want to say, I think that's right. We're in the right month. Um, obviously this has become kind of like a free waffles ad for the feed. Um, I did order two more bags of, of waffles. 
but I did also order some other things. I'm branching out. I'm trying some of the Bobo bars, breakfast Pop-Tart type things. They're not technically Pop-Tarts because I think that's probably a trademarked thing. Um, but I need some quick things in the morning. I've been really struggling many mornings to like properly get breakfast in on early runs. We had a heat wave where I had to get out really early all weekend to get in some exercise and uh, was really struggling on the breakfast front, very feeling very unmotivated and uninspired. So ordered some more breakfasty treats from the feed in my May feed box um, to hopefully up my breakfast game. Have you all put in your May orders? You got your new, your new feed boxes coming your way. I'm muted. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, the sorry. The I was very excited because I actually just got my box. Um, I've been actually trying out these new because um, I'm preparing for Unbound, this like 200 mile gravel bike race, and so I'm kind of figuring out what is easy to eat on a bike, so I don't have to like stop. Um, and so yeah, I like JoJ bars. Like those are amazing. They're like real food, and um, yeah, you can chew them when you're not like <laughs> going so hard. Um, and then I've actually really been trying out, uh, the new spring energy flavor, the, um, chocolate cherry, I believe it's actually like, hmm. it's quite, it's like thick. So uh, this is actually, I think this could be good, like frozen actually, but, um, uh, or like cool, but it's, it's, it's nice. Cause I feel like it's, it's actually a gel that's 180 calories. So kind of like the awesome sauce, but like, it's, it's a little bit thicker. It might be hard to eat. Like when you're racing, but I think for longer distance things, you feel like you're kind of chewing something. It's not just so, so like, mm -hmm. don't viscous, only but... take your chocolate gels to a hot race. Just bring an option. Bring, yeah. Right. Bring an option. Totally. Keely <laughs> might have accidentally done this before. Western State 2021 was just chocolate gels. And it was so <laughs> oh. Don't be a Keely. Don't just bring chocolate gels to your hot race. Keely, did you pack all the snacks? So Tahoe? I didn't actually because I'm I'm ordering everything to come here because I felt like it was a little silly for me to order everything and pack my car even more full to the brim. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I have a full feed order going, getting all the recovery snacks, breakfast snacks like granola, coffee, and then getting so much goo product as well for like the long runs in the Roctane and everything like that. So I love it. Yeah. Getting training camp fueled here shortly. Heck yeah. So if you want to try to put together your first ever feed snack box, you can go over to www.thefeed.com slash trail society there. When you input a little bit of information, um, you can get a $15 credit to spend on $35 a product, um, which is pretty cool. Essentially some free, basically it's a free pack of waffles. You heard it here <laughs> first kids. Um, but basically it's $15 a quarter, which is really cool. So $60 over the course of the year. Um, that's a lot of waffles. Anyway, meat and potatoes before I get carried away here. Um, we were thinking, what should we talk about this week? We were trying to do an interview. Interview didn't work out. And I was like, you guys, it's getting really warm. I'm like we've had some warm weather races. We need to talk about some like sweaty season hydration basics because temperatures are creeping up. We've all been not doing a good job practicing over the winter months. If you're me <laughs> and uh, it's important to start to really get these things put together. And so we are going to dive into hydration today. We're going to get really nerdy at times and really uh, hopefully you'll walk away with just like a, a hydration pack full of information. So I think we want to start with kind of like what happens when it gets warm. I did a lot of work in a climactic chamber during grad school, um, particularly like we'd make people intentionally very warm and then make them exercise, which was 
probably traumatic for everyone involved, but uh, good for science. And basically, like we're we as humans are not very efficient, i.e., to create movement, we create a lot of heat. Mm-hmm. And like only a little bit of that work actually gets us down the trail. A lot of it just creates internal heat. Um, and then you put us in a warm environment, and all of a sudden you've got environmental heat as well in the mix. And so we uh we as humans have to find ways to cool down. Our bodies are really, really smart. And when our body temperature increases, we do a number of things, try to cool ourselves off right away. You've probably experienced this. You take that jacket off. If you're me and you're walking your dog and it's 85 degrees in Seattle all of a sudden, and you're very surprised, you you have a jacket on for some reason, because it's been winter until recently, um, the jacket has to come off, right? You have to cool yourself down. You have to physically remove some of that heat and some of that insulation. You seek shade, you seek sun protection, et cetera. Physiologically, we also have a lot of things going on, including sending more blood flow to our skin. We're trying to move that, that hot, hot heat at our cores out to our surfaces. And then we create a lot of sweat. We've got sweat glands all over our bodies. We are sweaty, sweaty creatures <laughs> and sweating is really good for you. Um, what that does, particularly in dry environments, it's like, it works the best, which is amazing. <laughs> um, it allows you to utilize evaporative cooling, which is like 80% of how a lot of cooling happens. Um, and where, where, and essentially with that heat moving from your core to your skin surfaces and then to sweat as that sweat, as that water turns into a vapor, it literally pulls heat out of your body into the environment around you. So this Which, is like the chemistry part that I love. It's like phase changes, right? Yeah, you like, phase changes. you know how much it like takes to energy it takes to boil water. That's yeah. basically effectively what you're doing. It's like the body heat, like it's pulling the body heat from, from yourself to allow that water to move from a liquid to a gas. And so that is what is evaporative cooling. That's like, um, that's basically pulls the heat away from you. Right. And the, the huge majority of the heat that we're creating is current said with work, 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 right. The more you move, your muscles are actually, they're inefficient engines. They're generating a lot of heat. The byproduct of all these chemical reactions to make energy is heat. So that's mm-hmm. generally speaking, the more body mass you have, you have more, you know, muscular musculature, um, the more heat, the more like the higher your, or like your, it's basal metabolic rate, but that effectively translates to the the heat that you, you produce. So, yeah. So it's, it's cool. It's like boo humidity, yay <laughs> chemistry, I think is like what we have in our notes. I say, yeah, yeah. Chemistry. And the reason why humidity doesn't work is because we think about concentration gradients. We're going to like touch on this a little bit later, but like in humidity, effectively there's more water in the air. And so like, if we're going from, I love Colorado, right? The more I sweat, the more efficiently I can cool is because there's not that much water in the air. So that, that, that equation that like that, that, um, that basically the equilibrium is going to push towards pushing more water to the air to kind of reach an equilibrium. Right. But if there's already a ton of water in the air, like in a state like Seattle, Washington, um, there's really not so much incentive for water to move to an already saturated environment, which is the air. So evaporative cooling doesn't work as efficiently in a humid environment. Yeah. (laughs) And you just finished completely soaked. Yeah. And that's why too, like when you stop moving, in a dry environment too, where you both have a dry, you've dry air and you've got like air move, airflow moving over your, your skin surface. Mm-hmm. Like you like feel like you all of a sudden start sweating. You're like, mm-hmm. why did I just suddenly start sweating? And it's like, no, you've been sweating the whole time. There's yeah. just like, there's not wind plus an, uh, a gradient for the sweat yeah. to move. It's not evaporating as quickly. Yeah. So right. that's and also that's why those trainer idea. rides are horrible. 
<laughs> exactly. Like a trainer, right? If you want to create your own wind, right? Like on a bike and outside, outside, I'm like, oh, like I must not sweat that much. Right. But it's because I have, <laughs> I have the, like the convective cooling effect of the wind. Right. Yeah. Um, this yeah, is like, also so, like why wind. people can die of like exposure in the mountains because of like the, the wind effect and like that it can steal your heat away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wind steals your heat. So does cold water. That's like why the most, that's why at Western States, we love putting water on you. And it's also why like 35 degrees Fahrenheit and raining is like some of the most horrible, dangerous conditions because water akin to air moving over your surface is like very, very like heat zapping, very draining. It cools you down very, very quickly. This is also why swimming, if the faster you swim, the warmer you do not get. <laughs> it's the same concept there. I it actually steals your energy. It. So as opposed to running or cycling, the faster you move, the the warmer, the warmer you do get actually. Mm. Triathlon. Here we come. Um, <laughs> I think the kind of the final piece of that puzzle is that, you know, your sweat and we're gonna talk about this in more detail here in a little bit, but basically your sweat is made up of like very broadly speaking, water, sodium, potassium, and chloride. Um, and then everyone has different sweat rates. It's very individual. Um, and sweat rates and sweat concentrations, we should add, um, i.e. how much stuff is in your sweat. That's how the science people say it, how much stuff mm -hmm. is in there. Um, but essentially the average rates are about 0.5 to two liters an hour, but in testing, they've seen things as high as four to six liters an hour, um, which is a lot. That's a lot of, it's a lot of water leaving the body. Um, and essentially you can, um, estimate your sweat rate. Um, it's not very scientific and sweat rate changes a little bit based on how heat acclimated you are as well. Um, but essentially like if you're interested in this, what you would do is you would go to the bathroom and then you'd weigh yourself naked preferably. Um, that's for your benefit, not for our benefit. Um, and then you'd go for like an hour long run or ride. You'd measure how much you consume during that run or ride in, in liquid, you know, say you drank eight ounces, you know, et cetera. Um, come back in from that ride or run hopefully you haven't gone to the bathroom again. The ideal is that, you know, you can go run or ride for an hour without going to the bathroom, come back in, towel yourself off and then weigh yourself again. And so you're looking at that kind of like percent, percent body mass decrease. Um, and you can calculate out there from there kind of like leaders, leaders lost per hour. Um, and we can link to a, a little kind of calculation help website there if you're interested in doing that. But once again, it's like it changes throughout the year. I wouldn't, I wouldn't read into it as your end all be all. We can talk a little bit about Katie Asmith. I think in this too, she did some sweat testing pre-Western States last year, cooled herself very effectively during Western States and actually like kind of sodium overloaded herself because she thought she needed more than she did because she was actually just cooling herself super effectively and mm. kind of overdid it and gave herself horrible GI distress. Yeah. And, and it's like a lot of the sodium you excrete is also just from the diet. And so sometimes, yeah you have to remember, like if you did overload in, on salt, like the, the days leading up to Western States, which I feel like a lot of us do, we'll start popping some electrolyte tabs in our water. Um, that can also influence what kind of salt comes out in your sweat. Right. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I'm such a salty sweater. And it's like, eh, maybe not as much as you think it could have just been <laughs> from that dietary overload that you gave yourself for the past couple of days. Um, yeah. so yeah, it's not, a, it's not a strict science. So Keely, I guess kind of question to you here and, and Hillary, you can jump in as well. I guess I want to talk more about like what happens when you sweat for a prolonged period of time. Obviously sweating is normal. We all do it. Or unless you're my grandma, she would say girls don't sweat. They glisten. <laughs> um, no grandma. I definitely sweat. Um, 
but like kind of what happens when we're out there in a long race or a long training day when we're sweating for a long period of time. Yeah. And if you're my mom, you, you say that you never choose to sweat. So (laughs) there's no sweating for her either. Um, but yeah, so if you're, if you're not like um, Corinne's grandma or my mom, there's probably going to be times in your life where you're sweating a lot. Um, and typically when, you know, you're going during, you're doing some sort of exercise for a really long time, whether that be at a low intensity or higher intensity or in a hot environment, you start to sweat a lot and you start to lose a lot of the of the electrolytes and fluid in your body. And that can lead to dehydration, um, which, you know, can ultimately be relatively detrimental on performance, especially if you let that dehydration get really, really bad. Um, and so, you know, you want to really avoid that. So dehydration, you know, can be basically measured in terms of percentage of body loss, body mass loss. And so you're losing a lot of that fluid and electrolyte in your body. And so dehydration can be anything from, you know, above 4% of body mass loss to greater than that. And typically it results in increased cardiovascular strain, reduced muscle blood flow, less oxygen delivery due to that reduced muscle blood flow. So your, your muscles are getting less oxygen. Um, decreases the ability for your body to regulate thermoregulation. So regulate your internal body temp and then also increases carbohydrate metabolism. So you're burning more energy. Um, and then finally, it also can impair neuromuscular firing, which is the, you know, the junction between your neurons and your muscles. So that junction is kind of how you locomote or how you move. And so impairing that kind of firing is obviously very, could be detrimental to your performance as well. Um, and yeah, typically when you start to see these things start to manifest, that's something that we need to start monitoring. And so typically when you're starting to lose a lot, a lot of body mass of fluids, that's when we start seeing these negative symptoms come into play. I'm just like listening to that too, like with like thermal, like thermal strain and carbohydrate metabolism uptick. I'm like, wow, this is a vicious, vicious cycle yeah, for an ultra right? runner where it's like, I can, you can, you can just all of a sudden visualize like the wheels coming off for mm-hmm. someone and like exactly why it's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Totally. Yeah. Like you're basically negative spiraling down because as you continue to become more dehydrated, it exemplifies all these negative impacts of being dehydrated, which are very detrimental on performance. Um, and then another thing to consider is that, you know, if you're doing something like Western States where it can get up to 105 degrees Fahrenheit and you're running in the heat, like that can exemplify these negative, these negative impacts of dehydration as well, because, you're, you're having a greater, you know, thermal or cardiovascular strain due to this increased heat as well. So then your body's working extra hard to combat the heat that's coming from outside of your body. And then it's also working extra hard now to combat the dehydration that you're, you're experiencing inside. And so heat can also exacerbate these issues of dehydration. And so it makes it even more important to stay on top of your hydration in really hot environments. Woof. Ultra running. (laughs) Ultra running Western States. Here we come. The hype. We're starting the hype now. Keely's getting excited already. I can just tell. But it also like speaks to the fact where it's like being able to thermoregulate, being able to get hydration in, like impacts your ability to digest food, impacts your ability to like keep moving well. So I think it's like really important to be cognizant of. I do think though, like people are going to be hearing this and thinking like, oh my goodness, like, okay, like how do I, how do I avoid dehydration? Like this is kind of scary. Like you know, I'm, I'm going to be sweating. And, you know, we just talked about, okay, maybe they, maybe they've tried to figure out how much sweat they're losing an hour. Like, okay, I'm losing two liters of sweat an hour. Like, okay, I need to drink two liters of water an hour. 
can we maybe talk about like how it's impossible to replace a hundred percent of your liquids and kind of like maybe some potential like negative ramifications? Um, what can we drink to thirst? Like what's going on there as like kind of big picture dehydration and then all of a sudden like verging into like hyponatremia and why like that could be a potential outcome if you're not managing this appropriately. Oh, you don't want to go Hill. Sorry. You were oh, talking, I thought that so was I... for you. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <clears throat> right. Um, yeah. So, you know, a lot of times when you are thinking about hydrating during races, your, your first thought might just be to increase water intake and to increase it to the degree that it would replace, you know, all of the sweat that you lose. Um, but typically, you know, that's not really possible and that would require you to drink well beyond your body's natural instincts, um, for thirst. And, and that can be very dangerous in itself. If you were just replenishing all of your sweat loss with plain water, um, that can carry the risk of hyponatremia, which basically means you have too low blood sodium levels that can result in some swelling of the brain. Um, and this can result in very similar symptoms to dehydration. So it could be confused for dehydration sometimes where you're experiencing nausea, fatigue, dizziness, muscle cramping, and headaches. Um, but instead of due, instead of being due to dehydration, which would be lack of, of sodium and water, this is actually due to low blood sodium with too much water because you're diluting all of your electrolytes. Um, and so your water like moves into the cells and that's why your brain would start swelling. Um, and this can be fatal, right? Yeah. And this is, this is one of the reasons why they removed scales from races like Western States because it was encouraging people to overdrink, to try not to get pulled because <clears throat> they were basing off of like kind of old dehydration assumptions. And they're like, you can't lose X percent of water. Um, and then the other, the other thing too, is that most it's now recommended at most ultras that you do not give saline. Um, like say someone's getting pulled off the course, they think it's dehydration. You're not supposed, medics are not supposed to give them saline immediately. They're supposed to actually do like a blood, a blood, um, sodium check before administering any sort of rehydration solution, because if this person's hyponatremic and you don't know that and you give them saline, like, like we've seen like the negative outcomes of that essentially. So there's, there, there are now, we, we know more and more um, medical directors at these races are, are putting these things into place, but essentially like, because it presents so, so similarly to dehydration, you just have to be super, super careful. But as we talked about like brain swelling, water moving through different cells. Like there's obviously things that are happening in our cells that make this, this whole like system work. And Hillary, when we sent you this outline, you got really, really, really excited. Like all your nerdy little gears started spinning. And I'm wondering <laughs> if we can dive into the nitty gritty a little bit about like what's happening in the body at a cellular level to balance this hydration problem. I'd like to kind of talk about the definition of an electrolyte. I think this is where we can kind of go back to our, um, I don't know, or like elementary school, high school science labs where did like defining an electrolyte and dealing with electrolytes, like what are they? Um, technically, an electrolyte is something that can conduct electricity or conduct a current. Um, do you guys remember ever doing a lab where you could have stuck an electrode into a potato and then it would turn on a light bulb? Oh, yeah. Potato <laughs> clock. We had potato clocks. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the same thing. So there's a lot of, um, electrolytes in, um, in potatoes, potassium is, is a, is a, is a big one there. Um, but, um, and it's basically, I mean, any, I mean, technically I guess potatoes, a vegetable, but, or a root, but there's, there's water in that. So it's like basically an electrolyte is something, usually a salt that's so take 
table salt, which is sodium chloride, two of these electrolytes that we need, dissolve it in water, and it's no longer a salt anymore. It basically becomes invisible. It dissolves. So basically, an electrolyte is something that it's these ions, these charged particles in solution. And we're basically, you know, water. Like basically we're big sacks of, of water and electrolytes. So, um, and this is what allows our cells to function. So um, basically there's some really important ones. Like sodium is one of the most important electrolytes out there. So we, we do mean as you see in all of your electrolyte drinks, you see a sodium content in there, right? And we know your salt, your sweat tastes a little bit salty, right? So there's sodium, there's chloride, there's potassium. These are some really big ones. Some other some other electrolytes in your body is calcium, right? That's important for muscle function. Um, also an essential mineral in your, for your bones. Um, there's phosphorus, there's also bicarbonate. There's a lot of different electrolytes in your body. But when we're talking about for dehydration and cell function, sodium and potassium and chloride are the really big ones. Sodium and potassium are positively charged little cations and chloride is a negatively charged anion. That can get be important for, for when you get down to the nitty gritty of cell function. But specifically when we're talking about hyponatremia, and dehydration, we're talking about concentration of, of electrolytes outside of the cell and inside of the cell. And so typically for, for most cells to function, there's more potassium inside the cell and more sodium outside the cell. Um, and this, there needs to be some sort of a difference in order for these cells to become excitable, for them to work, right? We think of a neuron, right? There, it propagates some sort of signal. You can see like these illustrations again, you know, in your high school labs, um, where you could see like a like a firing, like a contraction of a of a neuron or a muscle fiber. That's kind of the same principle of these excitable cells. And so, in order for these uh, these um, transmissions and these basically this excitability of a cell to happen, there needs to be a difference in potential. There needs to be a difference between the concentration of ions outside the cell versus inside the cell. So if that gets messed up with your hydration, basically in hyponatremia, where water then now starts to move inside and that's not charged, right? It can either dilute, it can dilute things, basically disrupting some sort of difference that you have. It's kind of like a, a 101 explanation of why, why um, electrolytes are really important, specifically, specifically sodium, potassium. And I think Magnesium is another one I didn't I didn't touch on, but when you look at um, when you look at electrolyte drinks, there's usually some significant sodium and potassium content in there. Yeah, so like, what should people be looking for when they're thinking about either you know electrolyte tabs or electrolyte drink mixes? Is there something specific they should be looking for as far as like you know what like? Yeah, we hear a lot about sodium, but like are or I, I feel like what I hear a lot from athletes are like, are the other, are the other, you know, is do I need chloride? Do I need um do I need potassium? Do I need magnesium? Like kind of what it what like what should people be thinking about or looking for there from like an athlete coach recommendation? Yeah. So I mean, I think it's it's very we talk about this, it's very particular to each person, right? Like the specific concentration of the of the electrolytes that you're using losing in your salt, right? But when you're thinking about sodium, right? Like an electrolyte drink, I can't just specifically add in sodium, sodium cations. It comes in a salt. So mm -hmm. normally when you have so you have sodium chloride, salt. right? It comes together and then they dissolve. So when you're when you're eating, when you're ingesting an electrolyte drink that says it has this amount of sodium, like the chloride anions are not, um, you know, there's, there's different ways that the salt can come in. You can, um, 
or magnesium chloride, something like this. So there are concentrations of these other anions to balance it out. Um, but yes, I would, I would say I would look, um, there are certain tests that you can do, um, to kind of figure out exact concentrations, right. And then per hour of the electrolytes that you're losing. And then once you exceed a certain number of hours, like you might need to replenish more of that, right. This is what we're talking about when the, with the, um, kind of, it's like a negative sum game, the longer that you exercise, you can't replenish everything. It's not a perfect system. Um, but, and then I think it is important to note that, I'm like listening to your cravings. I think the body is a really good cue on that. Although it's not a perfect system, like drinking to thirst, right? You can also drink to thirst. Like if you're thirsty, plain water, and you can also listen to what you're craving. I know that if I, if it's a hot day and I'm still drinking electrolytes as well as plain water, and I'm starting to crave salty foods, right? I listen to that. And so your body is going to tell you, um, what you need to do. Um, but I mean, akin to your point, Corinne, like we've eliminated, you know, the weighing in at certain, at certain races so that you don't basically override what your body's telling you. Um, I still think that's an important thing, an important thing to note. Um, and then also like a good diet, right? Like we had Will on the podcast not too long ago, like your calcium and magnesium and phosphorus, all of those electrolytes are found primarily, you know, in the diet. So if you have good sources of those, that's going to kind of balance yourself out and um, then let the other, the other electrolytes you're losing in sweat kind of, um, you know, take over when we're actually exercising. Yeah. And I would say too, like a lot of, well, I think a lot of us think about, okay, I have to drink this. I need to drink my electrolytes. And a lot of sports nutrition products, if you're taking in gels, for example, like they have some electrolytes in them as well. And so it's like when you start to think about like total electrolyte consumption, you can also look to your foods mm -hmm. to see if you're what, what you're getting in there ad additionally to what you're drinking. I think that's really important to, mm -hmm. to remember. Totally. And then there's even differences between different drinks, right? Like <clears throat> I know for some of my races, I will choose to just do an electrolyte tab. And then other races, I'll do something like Roctane, which is adding carbohydrates to the electrolyte mix. And I know that that also impacts, you know, absorption of electrolytes. Mm -hmm. We're jumping ahead and I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I, I think this is a perfect timing. I'm going to jump ahead to what, what makes liquids hydrating. And then we'll come back to how, how to put this all into practice. Does that sound good? Yeah. Thumbs up. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm really nerdy as well. And I wanted to answer the question of is sparkling water hydrating? And so I set out to do this and there actually was a research article that looked at this and it talked a lot about the beverage hydration index, the BHI of a liquid, which I thought was amazing. I love that there's an acronym and essentially to calculate a BHI, they would see how much urine was produced in a two hour window following consumption of a beverage. And there they could mathematically figure out how much water was retained um, and therefore how like hydrating the product was. I'm going to cough. I have to hold on. Hold on. <laughs> what I think is funny about this is that the first time I saw BHI was in relation to caffeine and coffee. And I feel like it was the first piece of evidence I had to, you know, promote my coffee drinking because <laughs> you do absorb some water from coffee. Yeah. It's not yeah. all a diuretic. It doesn't all leave you. So it's like, oh, coffee's not all bad. Like you do get some water from coffee. <laughs> Yeah, oh we'll my see. gosh, my, my dad has always been pushed because he's a food science human nutritionist. So he's always in this like this realm. And he was one of the first ones. He's like, yep, coffee's coffee's hydrating. We're good. I'm like, okay, dad. <laughs> yeah, coffee and alcohol not completely dehydrating. Mm -hmm. 
if you need to know that. But yeah, so essentially like things that contain a macronutrient. Um, so basically a carbohydrate pr- predominantly like orange juice, Coca-Cola, full fat milk, and then electrolyte beverages like sports drinks or oral rehydration solutions um, retained a lot of water and then still in sparkling were basically the same thing. So all that to be said, like there is, there is a reason why you can pull more of that water into your system. It crosses your, um, like basically goes through your intestine, like the membranes of your intestines, you absorb it. It's good. You like that. So the BHI is important. And that's why you'll, you'll, you might notice this. Like I have a friend who peed constantly on the runs and she listens to this. And so she'll be like, Oh, she's talking about me. Um, she pee, like would pee all the time. It was great. I would like get little stretch breaks in. It was excellent. But she started adding like a heavier electrolyte mix to her drink bottles. And she like cut her peeing by like probably two thirds because her body's actually like holding on to the liquid. Like it's pulling the liquid into her system. So there's, there's a method to the madness is what I would say. in like a hydration solution solution being a pun probably. Um, but also being like the solution is like what is mixed together that you're ingesting. So that's my plug for BHIs. And most importantly, that study also showed there's no difference between sparkling water and regular water. Just reiterating this because I brought my soda stream with me and (laughs) now I don't feel bad. (laughs) Yeah. turns out the drinking like a ton of like canned carbohydrate carbonated beverages is probably like more of a dental risk than anything. Um, it creates an acidic environment in your mouth. So switch with plain water too, but, um, from a hydration standpoint, Oh yeah, you can hydrate with bubbly or polar or, um, LaCroix, whatever you want. So soda stream, um, that is as, as hydrating, which is an important note as we head into the hot summer months and you have to have a a bevy in hand at all times. Um, I think we should finish up with kind of like a little bit of like practical takeaways, like, IE, like, how do I put this into practice in a big race? So like, um, Keely, you kind of outlined this in the art in an article you wrote for free trail a year ago, we'll link it in the show notes. Um, but just kind of, can you walk us through a little bit of like, what does this look like in broad strokes? Like what should people be thinking about as they take this info with them on their next long run or long race? First of all, there's obviously a no one size fits all plan. So the plan that we decide to implement for ourselves is going to be highly individual. Um, and so I think when you're approaching a race, you know, some runners are able to drink to thirst and that's typically easier to do in cooler conditions when you're sweating a little less, but sometimes that's not enough to get the job done. And, um, based on average sweat rates, you know, we typically can be safe in assuming that around 16 to 32 fluid ounces an hour is a pretty good baseline. Um, And so taking those two facts into account, you can kind of start mapping out a a little plan for your race because they have found that in ultra distance environment or ultra distance races and in hot environments, having a plan for hydration is better than trying to drink to thirst. And so I'd say like, going into a race, you know, hopefully you've been practicing hydration a lot, get to know yourself and what really works for you and implement a plan in that race. But, you know, on that aside, don't be afraid to change that plan in the middle of the race. Like for instance, when I was doing black Canyon, based off all my running in the cold Pacific Northwest, I was like, Oh, I'm probably going to need one bottle an hour, one bottle of water an hour, one bottle of electrolyte drink an hour. Um, it was kind of a mix for me. So sometimes I'd water, sometimes I'd electrolyte mix, ended up drinking two bottles of water an hour because I was in the desert and it was so hot and my body is not acclimatized to that. And I was sweating so, so much. 
And instead of, you know, trying to stick to my plan, I was way too thirsty to do that. And so I had to increase the amount of fluids I was drinking. And so go into your race with this plan where it's like, okay, I know that having a bottle an hour for me is really good for these conditions and shoot for that during the race, but then be okay adapting that. If you are thirsty, drink more um, and make sure to supplement with electrolytes. And if you, you know, feel like you're having cramps come on, that might mean you increase electrolytes a little bit, like be okay adjusting the plan and most importantly, practice. And then finally, you know, after a race, typically we finish and we feel awful. Um, sometimes, especially after a hundred miles, I don't know if I've ever felt anything that horrible, (laughs) but make sure to have someone in your crew or someone in your life or keep yourself accountable to rehydrate afterwards, because there have been some studies showing that the not rehydrating after a race can really decrease your body's ability to recover um, and decrease your performance. And so just thinking about the long-term like recovery after a race, make sure you have a hydration strategy for the end of your race as well. Whether that's a crew member bringing you over a recovery drink that has electrolytes and water in it, or you're drinking a hydration tab, just have that in the back of your mind as well. I love that. And I would say too, like I struggle to eat after a lot of big long races. Um, my, like both like just not from necessarily from nausea, but like my throat hurts from like breathing for so long. Turns out breathing is really hard. Um, even when I'm not coughing. And so I lean into those liquids. It's like smoothies, milkshakes, caught like fancy coffee beverages, lemonade, like just like liquids, liquids, liquids. I want you to go into Starbucks and like you're only placing an order for yourself, but you still need a cup holder because you're getting four <laughs> beverages. Like that is, I want to see everyone on the infield of the Western States track during awards with their own personal cup carriers because they have so many beverages with them. But it, it's true. Like, it's like, you got to get stuff in. You might as well, if you can't eat, you might as well just like go go double down on the liquids and uh, get your calories in that yeah, way and, too. So and important. like how we also have to remember that, you know, don't, stop drinking water or electrolytes before a race, like you want to start hydrated. Yeah. So, you know, kind of the last thing to remember is just don't start the run dehydrated. That is a recipe for disaster. So start the run really hydrated. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys found this, but a little bit of a side note, I find that if my stomach starts to not love the water or electrolytes I'm drinking, if I start taking like nibs of water, so almost like every five minutes, I'll take like an ounce that really sits in my stomach a little bit better too. So kind of like a little tip for if your stomach starts to go sour, just try to increase frequency and decrease the volume. Yeah. All about that sip, sip, nibble, nibble lifestyle. (laughs) I think it's a lifestyle. I'm going to make a shirt that says that sip, sip, nibble, nibble. Um, Tell me, tell me, slide in my DMs. If you want a shirt that says that Um, we'll, uh, (laughs) we'll bring some swag to Western States. Um, But I think that, yeah, those are all really good recommendations. We had this text exchange going last night about like how much body percent can you lose? And I think the big thing is that like being you hydrated akin to balance in life is a little bit of a fallacy. Like your kidneys are really good at doing their jobs. Don't get in their way. Don't overthink it. Like just drink, just hydrate, but like, don't, don't, uh, put your brain before, before the cart, which is not a real saying, but like essentially like you're going to be fine. Just got to kind of get out of your way a little bit. Oh my goodness. Okay. I'm going to make it through this. Don't get sick. Being sick is not fun. I don't even have children and I keep getting upper respiratory tract infections. Stop traveling. Don't travel. (laughs) Don't, don't, don't do what I do and have like 17 plane flights in the month of April. Okay. To finish things off, Society Slam brought to you by our friends over at Petzl. 
shining a spotlight on the community. Keely, you pack your pretzels? Oh, I packed five pretzels, so we're good to go. <laughs> her crew, everyone in her crew is going to have a pretzel yep, on their head. People in my crew need them. I've always packed my now with the backup light or the backup battery plus another backup headlamp. So, you know, have two headlamps for the race plus a backup battery. And then everyone in my crew also needs headlamps. So, and my my pacers need headlamps. So yeah, I brought all the pretzels that I own. Thank you, Petzl. If you would like to try Petzl, they told us, hey, send them out to their local, their local run shop, their local outdoor store, pick up a Petzl today. Everything from the little bindies all the way up to the new Petzl Now RLs. They're all great. They all have their different functions and purposes. I definitely have one of each at this point. <laughs> Who wants Same. to society slam? Well, I can start off. I just added one. Um, we Go have, for it. We had a lot of really cool messages. Um, <clears throat> I know you put these in here, but um, there was one that stood out to me. This is a this is actually a personal DM. Um, so for those of you slide into our DMs at trail.society on Instagram. Um, but basically, um, this is from Meg. She says, as a fellow endurance athlete, so much of what you say is so relatable. For me personally, having a history of eating disorder and working through that to experiencing injury and re-injury, this whole process and journey can feel so tough, especially when you get caught up in comparing yourself to others or your past self. So thanks for all the content. And this is especially, this is from our last episode that we, that we published. Uh, she said she feels so supported by what she's going through. I love it. Oh, that's I love so it. Good. I love it. I, you guys, I almost cried reading the first one. That I know. In here. Do you want to talk through it, Corinne? Because I love that one. Yeah, I'll read it. And I, if I start coughing, Keely, you'll just pick up wherever I left off. How's coughing, that sound? Coughing means cue for crying. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Coughing means I'm crying and Keely has to take over. I can't breathe too deep. It hurts my throat. Okay. Uh, someone wrote in and said, Hey, thanks so much for your podcasting. I just wanted to say what Corinne said about how. We get to choose our own feelings about something really resonated with me. My epiphany moment with that happened a couple summers ago. I've been fairly successful amateur trail runner and had gotten into mountain biking and tried an enduro race. Enduros are insane. That's a side note. Um, In that race format, you complete the full course, including all the climbing, but you're only timed on the downhill segments. The race was so fun. The group of women around me were amazing. And the format was super conducive to having a really social collaborative race experience. And I felt like I learned a lot about downhill, the downhill line selection, approaching scary obstacles and other things that made the race experience overall amazing. I finished the race really happy and excited about the experience. But then when I saw the race results, my tally time for all the segments and how it stacked up, being in the bottom half of the finish list made me suddenly feel unhappy and disappointed. That rapid change of feeling really highlighted how feelings were only a matter of my personal perspective. And I had the ability to choose how I felt about the race. So I made a conscious choice to stick with the positive feelings I had had about the race and everything I had learned by participating. I felt like that is a skill and a practice that could be very easily be transferred to considering and coping with the DNF with the DNF decision. And it's awesome that you're feeling glad about your decision and excited to race the rest of your summer. Talking about dropping out of Madeira and how I thought I was like the happiest DNFer in the whole (laughs) world. Um, But yeah, I think that's so true that you can like this, this person had this amazing experience and then like had this like kind of other other stimulus come in and tell her that she didn't have a good day and that like watching her mood fluctuate like that like resonated this idea of like yeah you get to you get to choose how you respond to something and i think that was really really cool and i'm glad that we kind of got to bring that full circle so thank you for writing in that that meant a lot to read yeah that was really cool it's like we can all have a race result on paper but it doesn't really dictate how we feel about the race right super 
I loved her story. Hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. Final shout out is first off, shout out to Jenny Q. Jenny Quilty, Jenny friend Q. of the pod. <laughs> Jen Quilty, Western uh, so States, she, here we come, baby. Yes, I'll, I'm going to hopefully see her while I'm up here because she's coming up here for a bit too. Um, so she's a coach and one of her athletes, she basically told her to start listening to our pod. And so she's binged all of our episodes. So, so shout out to you because that's freaking impressive. <laughs> um, but basically this, this athlete is now 44 and she's postpartum and perimenopausal. And she had very low confidence for the first time in her life when she was returning to running and was questioning if she was getting too old to be competitive. Um, but she really wanted to kind of invest in finding out her true potential. And so she started listening to the podcast, started becoming a true student of the sport. And she said she's now been, you know, running faster and smarter than she ever has and realizes in the best way possible that she's not unique at all because she's realizing like through our podcast and other narratives that we're kind of creating this monumental shift in women's participation in competitive sport and, and redefining success and redefining what it takes to be competitive. Um, and she's saying how it's really cool to be in a sport where now it's not just necessarily young women who are crushing it, but rather those who are committed, thoughtful, and persistent in their athletics, regardless of age. And that could not resonate more for me because I I feel like literal chills right? right now. It's like the sport has so much untapped potential and it's just from learning to treat your body with success and, or with respect and actually reach your potential because there's just so much untapped potential in this sport. And I'm so excited just to see people start, start hitting that. I love it. You all are the absolute best community, community people, DM slider inners. Y'all, y'all make this thing possible. I think it is really nice. We definitely I think we we tell ourselves that we're trying to make a difference and it's it's really cool to like hear from you all and know that like what we talk about week in and week out does resonate with you. And it doesn't always, but I think like we try we try. And um so thank you for continuing to give us those shout outs, for continuing to slide into our DMs, to ask questions, to pose to pose inquiries, to push back when we're frankly very wrong on things. It's all it's all good. Um so continue to slide into our DMs. We love you all. We're so excited to get to see more and more of your faces at races coming up. Um Hilly, we should talk cuz if you make it to Western States, maybe we can pull something off there which oh, yeah. would be super freaking <laughs> sick. Let's do a live states pod. Live Ooh, states so cool. pod. When Keely like after, as soon as she finishes, we'll just bring her up on the stage and we'll do a podcast right there. It'll be amazing. Okay. <laughs> it'll still be light out. It'll still be light out. Oh, <laughs> okay. Um, we love we'll you bring all. Bring a tray of drinks. <laughs> oh yeah, no, we'll have all the bevies, bevies, bevies lined up. You can come watch. Um, but until next time, we'll see you out on the trails. Bye.